And I'm thinking today, just with what, what's being written in First uh, John 4, about the power that words have. And we've spoken in the last month or so, I was having a conversation with someone and they were talking about something that was spoken over them when they were young that just had such, fr- such power and just, just invested such freedom in there. And so, so many of you have stories like that, a teacher or a parent or youth leader who just spoke something into you and you received that. So, so many of us also have stories of people that just spoke things into us that were just deflating and that affected us and... and some of us, many of us, I hope, came to a place where we just allowed the truth, God's truth, to, to speak over that and to take that away. So many people still live in those kinds of things. I was thinking about the power of words. The words have the power to, to build up, but Proverbs also points out it has the power to tear down. Thinking words, they can, someone speaks words into you, that can launch you into something, or it can also sink what God's doing in your life, or maybe a vision that you have, or words can inspire you to move on and to to attempt something, or it can gut you. You can feel like someone has just spoken and just taken the, just the drive out of your system, or the words can speak hope over you or defeat. If you're in a hard situation, the right person can speak hope into you. Some of these songs have spoken hope over us, but people can also speak defeat, that that's not going to work, you're never going to do this, however that will be. They can renew you, words, or they can ruin you. They can change you, or worse, they can just leave you the same. As, boy, as I was writing that one down, I thought, God, please do not, let, do not let words spoken from this platform, either by the worship team or by us, please do not let those leave people the same. You know, that's not why we're doing this. It can, words can direct you. You finally, some people will say to us sometimes, boy, I got direction. Thank you. I had clarity on something that I was wrestling with. Thanks for what you said. Or they can confuse you. If you talk to that person that you've asked for advice and you come away thinking, holy smokes, what, what in the world were they saying? Yep. Or they can, I think even the scriptures say this, words have the power of life or death in them. So the power of words and that moment when, when someone speaks to you or speaks over you, that just has such power, whether you're going to receive what's being said or you're going to reject what's being said. Or maybe a third category, you're just going to totally miss what was said. You're just somewhere else or oblivious or you're just weighed down. You can't receive that. The power comes in that sense of, I receive, I receive what you're saying. I receive that truth. I, I have a hard time receiving it. My life doesn't tell me that or whatever it is, but I receive that this is true. Or I reject that. I just no, I don't believe that. I don't believe it works for me. I don't, I don't believe my story. However that goes. They just have that kind of power. And, and so God gives us this word to have that kind of power for all of those positive things that we listed out. His intended is that this word would have that power. You know, this word that Jesus equates with truth. He says when he's praying in the garden, he says, you know, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So he just equates that, that here's this truth and this word that has these big words like salvation, that this truth can bring you to a place where you, you move on your journey from going to hell to heaven, from being alienated from God to being in a relationship from, with God, from being an enemy, like Romans says, to being his child, that salvation is, is the truth of this word. It's one of those big words. Transformation. That's what God is looking for, not just changing your life or cleaning up your life. He's looking to transform it, the way you think, what your goals are, how you view yourself, uh, the way that you live. He's looking for just a total life transformation. And then he doesn't just give you a job. He uses a big word like commission. You know, Jesus releases us and he says in John, as the father sent me, 
I'm sending you. Same way. It's just being passed on like the relay or, or in Matthew where he says, I'm giving you this commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. That's a big word, and it's out of this truth. Who can do this, and where can we go, and where do we have the right to go, and, and is this gospel, is it for everyone, or is it just local? All of those things. And he uses pretty much three channels to get that out. He'll use the word, uh, he'll use the Holy Spirit, and he'll use people to get that word to us or to wherever it needs to go. You know, we're, we want to make disciples who change the world. And so we're partnering with some people around the world. And some of you support individually other missionaries who are in different places in the world because God is, is sending his spirit and he's using and he's directing people out there. He's using the word, he's using the Holy Spirit, and he's using different people. And then he's constantly at work. I just sometimes, you can tell by just these lists that I come up with, I'll just sit at the desk and I think, okay, but how is he doing this? Or what are the different ways or what are the different words that that I would use that just talk about how God is doing this? How is it that he's always working? He's always working hard, which, you know, we think about that in our sense. God, he's working hard. I get that. And yet nothing is too difficult for him. You know, we think, God, this is a huge problem or this is going to take a lot. But for him, it's nothing. It is nothing. I know I mentioned, I love that conversation they say Charles Spurgeon had with someone. This woman came up to him and said, do you think God is interested in my little problems? And Spurgeon said to her, can you think of any of your problems that are big to God? You know, just in his sense, he's working hard as we think about it, but, but it's not too hard for him. He's working constantly. He's working faithfully. He's using everything. He's using everything he can use to get his work done. In your life, he's using everything he can use, which includes using everyone that he can use, including those people, Warren Wiersbe called them sandpaper people, you know, that he brings into your life and they are irritating, but they are smoothing you out. So he's just using that. He's using, he's working for life to, to bring you life. And he's working to bring people to Jesus, to bring more of Jesus out of you. And then he's working for his forever glory. You know, in Ephesians 1, it tells what God's doing to us, and it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely bestowed on us and the one that he loves. He, all through eternity, he's going to be able to point to you and talk about the glory that you brought him. That, and he is working that way and to that end. The only problem, and the problem we run to in, our, in the verses we're going to look at today, is that Satan is also always working hard and constantly and faithfully and using everything and everyone. And he's working, I should say, for death. He's working to keep people from Jesus. And he, too, is working for his forever glory. So you have these, these constant battle that is going on, and it will go on until the Lord Jesus comes and brings it to an end. But that goes on. Now tie that with what I was saying in the power of words. Because just as God is using channels to speak truth to us so that we experience truth and we become partners of the kingdom of truth, Satan is constantly lying to us. Lying in any way that he can. Some of you, the life you're living now is opposite of what you thought was the way you ought to be living before. Just opposite. But some of us, we were all right before. Some of you were very religious before. You believed in Jesus, you, you were, thought you were following him, but you were following a false gospel or, or a deluded gospel or an affected gospel. And so you have this, this moment and 
in John, and as we've seen, John's concerned all, the whole way through is, is just with what is real and what is genuine and, and keeping things genuine. And so all the way through, he's talked about truth in those things. And where is, as, as God and the evil one are fighting, the battle, this battlefield, it's not in the church. It's not overseas on the mission field. It's not just in our persecuted brothers and sisters, or it's not in your home even, or on your computer. The battle is in your mind. It has been from the very beginning. So when Satan shows up in the garden, he goes for the mind and he goes for the truth. Has God really said this? And, the, and that moment for Adam and Eve is, is God telling the truth and we need to follow him or is God lying to us and we need to rely on ourselves or we need to rely on this, this snake? That's where the battlefield is. It always is. When you have your quiet time, when we're up here preaching, you're listening to your podcasts or whatever it is, you have the opportunity to either believe this is true and receive it or to reject it because people are speaking over you or into you. And that just becomes this incredibly powerful moment. And so here we are in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4. And I want to read the first six verses. And here's this warning that comes from John. <clears throat> 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so John, as he is all the way through, it's just everything is cut and dry to him. It's either, it's either or to him. And so he would say to you and he would say to I, check out who is speaking. You know, there's a lot of people speaking now over the gospel. You are allowing a lot of people to be speaking to you. You're hearing a lot of voices between coming to church, between your podcasts that you listen to, people that you watch online, devotions that you're reading, Christian books that you're reading, all that are a huge advantage to us. But you just have a lot of voices. And the more voices there are, you know, it's, doesn't it say in, in Proverbs, in many counselors there's wisdom, but then sometimes in many counselors there's confusion or there's error. And so all of these voices that you're allowing to speak over you, you're not just listening to a podcast, you're allowing someone to speak over you or you're allowing someone to speak into you, which is good if they're accurate, if they're truthful, if they're faithful to the word, that's a very positive, powerful thing. But if they're off in any way, that's going to be negatively powerful. So John just says to us, we need to check out who it is who's speaking to us because even now as then, there's many. He says to them, don't believe every spirit, test the spirits, plural, for there's many false prophets, plural, and there's many of them that are out in the world. Even at that, at that early time in the church's history, there were just a lot of false teachers that would go out. You get a sense of what life was like in the early church from the next two letters John would write, his second and third John. He just says you get this sense that the church experience in those days, you had elders in the church, but you also had a lot of traveling teachers like the apostles. And now you're at this point in church history, the apostles are, are dying off. Another generation and another, you know, another movement of speakers are out there. And some of them are coming with a false gospel. 
And so they come into the church and they maybe say, hey, I'm, I was connected to the Apostle John. And so, wow, we have someone who knew John here. He's going to speak today. And, and John is writing in warning of situations like that, no matter who it is, to say, you need to check out, you need to check out who it is that's speaking. Because there's a spirit behind every speaker. And that's where John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits because there's many false prophets. And so he ties those things together. That it's not the person, it's which spirit is behind them because we know that God is always working and we know that the evil one is always working. And we know that the evil one is smart enough not to come up with something that's just totally wrong, but to come up with something that might just be a little off. Because as long as it's not pure truth, then it's dangerous truth. And so he writes that. And John has this sense of either or. You're either a, a true prophet or you're a false prophet. You either have the spirit of God, John says, or you have the spirit of the Antichrist. You're either from God or you're from the world. You are at the very end in verse 6. He says, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That every time someone speaks the word, they are being motivated and they're being spoken through either the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. We should, we should accept that. We should have kind of anticipated that. I, I decided not to put these up because I, I want you to see them in your, in your Bible, whether it's you know, an actual book or a device, because these may be verses you want to highlight. And I'll be sitting next to Cindy uh, Wednesdays or when T Pastor Ted preaches, and I'll see her sometimes on her phone just highlight stuff. There's verses that are good to highlight like these. You know, in, in 1 Timothy 4, it says, if you turn there with me, 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. They will devote themselves to that kind of teaching. It's not just that people are going to hear a bad message once in a while. It's that people are going to hear false truth False truth, if it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit, it comes from a deceitful spirit. It comes from a demonic spirit. And they're going to devote themselves to those things. They're going to be committed that, no, I, I, you might be showing me those verses, but I still think this is right. I still, I don't think, I don't believe what you're saying to me. That won't work for me. That in the latter times, and we certainly are in the latter times, they're going to be, they're going to be deceitful spirits. And then over in 2 Timothy 4, easy to remember because it's the two Timothys and it's the beginning of chapter 4. He's, he's preaching, he's exhorting Timothy, who's his representative in Ephesus. And he's telling him, you need to preach the, the pure truth. And then he tells him what things are going to be like in the last days, which I think is our days. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season and reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I mean, those are corrective words, aren't they? Reprove and rebuke and exhort because, because we're going to tend to drift. Maybe we drift into what's easier. We drift into what fits for us right now. We drift into things that appeal to us. We just drift away from the truth. I mean, so he, see, you have those things. Verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. 
So I'm telling you, the time is going to come when people will not listen to truth, when people will be deceived, when people will be let off. And, and I think John is seeing it at the end of his day. We are certainly seeing it in this day. So it's so important that you check out who's speaking, that you, you respect people. But boy, people, I graduated from a very, cons- very conservative uh, Bible Institute and conservative seminary. But there are people with degrees from those schools who are just out there now. And so the fact that someone says, hey, I'm a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, I'm a graduate of Dallas Seminary, doesn't mean anything. You have to check that out. It might mean something, but it doesn't mean you, you listen indiscriminately. Here's a famous apostle Paul who's done all that Paul has done. He goes into Berea and he, he, bring, he puts together the Old Testament in a way that shows them Jesus is a Messiah. And, and Acts will tell you that the Bereans, they all went home and checked him out. And there's no sense of, wait a minute, do you know who I am? You know, he doesn't pull out Philippians 3 and say, hey, I'm a pure Jew. I'm from Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You guys just trust me. It says in, in Acts, Dr. Luke, who travels with Paul, says they were much nobler because they went home and they verified what they were being. Who was this guy and what is it? Because the, the reality is, if I go off at some point, I'm not going to announce that. I'm not going to get up Sunday, hey, I've got a good message. Just want you to know, I've thrown my life into the trash can. But this is really good. You know, I'm not going to tell you that I'm thinking of leaving, Cindy. Uh, that somehow, I'm not going to tell you that. You know, you need to know that, that there, we have some checks in place for that. One of the checks is Cindy would kill me. So that, that's... That's a powerful one in my mind. Yeah. Hey, the periodically, Pastor Ted will, will uh, he will call Alexis and just check in with her and say, hey, how's Pastor Jeff doing? Anything you're seeing that you're concerned about? That is a healthy thing. That's healthy for the church. That's healthy for me. You know, Cindy's just wired, wired this way, and it's to my health that she feels very free to talk to him if there were to be something, because when she worked in the office, they had that conversation. Okay, now you're his wife. Are you going to be able to tell me if there's things that you see that are just red flags to you? So, hey, praise God, we have that in place because anybody could drift. I mean, there there are Bible teachers that I have loved and followed and at the end of their life, or who in the world would have thought Ravi Zacharias? So, from, from the early days, God is just telling us, you need to check out who's speaking. You need to know their life. I remember Greg Dyson talking about good music and not good music, and he had the L's that he would talk about their life, their lyrics. Uh, there, were, there were a couple other L's in there. But their life and their lyrics. That's why in Timothy, Paul will talk to Timothy so much about your life. Watch your life and your teaching. Those two things have to be together. So you are hearing from so many voices. Hey, praise God for that. Check out who it is that's speaking to you. That's what John is saying to us. There's safety in that. There's safety in scrutinizing this person. And say, well, I don't want to be judgmental. You need to be judgmental when it comes to who is going to speak into your life saying this is what God says. You know, who are you going to open your spirit to in that way? There is safety in leaning on the Holy Spirit. You know, you're sent to guide me into the truth. Remember Jesus said, uh, one of the commentaries in this passage reminded, spoke about when Jesus said to the disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you're not able to bear it right now. And then he ties it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, 
He's going to unleash what you need to know when. And I think that's a ministry he just has now. Imagine if the Holy Spirit, I remember my youth leader saying this, can you imagine if the Holy Spirit told you everything you had to change the moment you got saved? You would just forget it, forget it. Can you imagine, Jen and Alexis, if you knew what parenting was going to be before you had children? You know, there, <laughs> enough said, yeah. None of you parents dare say anything about that. Okay, thanks for leaving me out there. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't. The Holy Spirit just has this personal relationship with you where he says, he comes and he says, okay, now it's time to deal with this. Or, hey, now I need to press you to get you to believe this. Or I need to push you beyond your comfort zone. Or I need to help you see that you are more than the person you think you are. So I loved that Douglas video to, to get that to children. But if we can get that to some of you adults, that there's more that you can do. And so the Holy Spirit is working that. So you're leaning in on him. Holy Spirit, is this you? You know, you bear witness to the truth. Is this you that's speaking through me? So he speaks to them about who it is, and then he tells them that they need to check out what they're hearing against the truth. Check out what's being taught and, and listen in that way. That I, that I hope you receive what we teach. I think we've got years of integrity, but I hope you're, you still have a sense of, okay, I just, hey, I believe him. I know he loves God. He loves the word. He's studied. I just need to, I just need to not drink in without a filter either. And so that's what John is saying to them. In fact, do you see how he says that in verse four, in verse one rather? Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That's, in the original, that's a command. And so when you see a present command with a negative, it means stop. Stop believing every spirit. You know, somebody writes John a note, John, thank you so much for sending these people. They've been such a blessing to us. John writes back, stop believing all of them because some of them are not bringing the truth. Many of them, he says, stop. And then he says to them in verse two, by this you know the spirit of God. Well, John, how are we supposed to know? You were with Jesus. You knew this stuff. Hey, I'm a Gentile. I, didn't, I don't know the Old Testament like these people know. How, how is it we're supposed to know this stuff? And so he gives them this test of, of what the issue was in their day. And the issue in their day was the, who Jesus was. Was he fully God, fully man? And so he says in verse two, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, God, that's his, that's his uh, divine name. That's the God name has come in the flesh. That's the human peace. Because there's this growing heresy at that time that said that the spirit of God came upon the man, Jesus, when he was baptized. And then it left him when he went to the cross that he was not a God man. He was just a man upon whom the spirit came. And the early church rejected that as a heresy. And actually would circle back around later in church history and the church would reject it. In their day, John says, this is, this is a test you need to make. Does this person believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he came in the flesh, that he was the God man? Because if he is, if he won't confess that, he's not from God. You've got to take that. You've got to recognize that. It's an interesting when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts over in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, no spirit can say Jesus is accursed by the Holy Spirit. And I've wondered, you know, I've wondered, okay, how crazy were things in Corinth that somebody would get up and say that and they weren't sure whether that was God or not. Max gets up here and he says, hey, curse Jesus. Nobody's saying amen. 
you know, we are rushing the stage, you know? <laughs> but in Corinth, this thing was so new and the spirit, was, they were trying to figure out so much. They didn't, has there been a change? Has there been a change in Jesus or what to do? And so John is saying, listen, this is the truth we know. You need to check out everything being taught by the truth we know. And Pastor Ted say periodically, you know, the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. You know, that it, you'll find what it teaches in other places. I remember, you know, they told us in school, if you find something new, you've probably found something wrong. You know, or if you find something that's only taught in one place, you probably haven't found something that's, that's accurate. Because the Bible will verify itself. And so John is saying, hey, here's what we came and taught you. If someone comes with a, with a diversion of that, then you need, you need to reject it. Earl Palmer wrote this commentary in John that I've really appreciated. And he says, a culture will always adapt the message to the culture. And so the Greeks, they believed the body was evil, that the spirit was good, that God would never take on a body because why would he take on something evil? And so to your Greek mind, you're trying to figure out, well, then who was this person? Jesus. He couldn't have been physical because we don't believe that. And the Bible doesn't let you do that. The Bible doesn't let you bring, this is what I believe. The Bible just smashes you into, this is what's true. Remember, so Paul goes to Athens and he's talking to all philosophers and then it says when he mentioned the resurrection from the dead, they all, they all started going in different directions. That was the truth smashing the culture in that moment. But the culture will, it will always adapt to it and so this is who we think Jesus should be. He should be, he could be a man and then the spirit would work this way. This is how I can accommodate what I believe to what, the, what you're telling me is the truth. We all do that. This is what I believe. This is what I want to believe, or this is what it's safe to believe. And so this is how I'm going to accommodate what the truth is. We don't do that about salvation, or we don't do that about Jesus, or, or we didn't even do that about the, like the eight lessons that Pancho go through in foundations. We do go that maybe on spiritual gifts. I just, I don't have a gift that would really function in the church, or the whole, I, we do that about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in me is not powerful enough to overcome what life has taught me or what life has made me to be. Or the Holy Spirit in me cannot take me beyond my personality. We're adapting the truth to culture or to what we are. I think Earl Palmer said at one point, he said, we've all determined who is the most or what is the most important influence in our life. And we are going to make the truth subservient to that. Maybe think of all the social, what is it, social media influencers now. And what a great word, influencers. But we've got truth, not influence. Amen. And so, so we can't let it accommodate in that way. We can't let the truth line up with what we want. Like, look at this discussion Paul's going to have in, in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. That's not a discussion we're having at Cottage Hill. We're not, I'm not, that's not on my agenda next Sunday in the new members class. Just want you to know, if you become a member of Cottage Hill, you really shouldn't go visit prostitutes anymore. Nobody, if I said that, nobody would be, whoa, wait a minute. In Corinth, that was an issue. Why was that? Well, because we believe the body is an evil thing, and I don't have to worry about what I do with my body because it's what I do with my spirit that's important. 
See, they're, they're adapting the truth to the culture. This is the, this is the place where you get that verse a few verses later. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have from God? And you've been bought with a price, not just your spirit, but your body. And so for them, though, that was, that was their culture, and they were trying to get it to line up with how it worked. Or if you read Galatians, that's where you've got the Jewish problem at the other end of the spectrum. No, no. We believe you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law. We believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We believe that he's come to, for salvation. But you better, be, you better keep st- being Jewish. That's what that whole letter is about. I, I see the gospel, but I'm adapting it to my Jewish culture. I'm adapting it to the, to the religious culture that I've grown up in. And Paul smashes that. He says, you cannot do that. You know, you cannot combine the gospel. You can't, you can't tag on those two things in that way. The culture would love to adopt the truth. This, who, who in our culture wants to get rid of Jesus? Who wants to get rid of this man that, that, you know, treated the down and out people, that welcomed outsiders, that healed people, that had things to say, that showed us the love of God? Nobody wants to get rid of him. Nobody, very few people want to get rid of God. You want to know there's a God. During this pandemic, Boy, people want to know there's a God and that things aren't out of total control or that we're not dependent upon Dr. Fauci to know what the truth is. They want to know that there's a God. Or who doesn't want the Bible? Who doesn't want Psalm 23? So the culture, to, to the largest degree, isn't looking to get rid of the truth. It's just looking to adapt the truth so that it's, so that it's easier or it lines up with, with what they think. So the culture though it's always going to choose its version of the truth over God's version of the truth. See, and that's why John will come around and say to them, you know, in verse 4, little children, you're from God. You see how important this is to John's heart? Verse 1, beloved. Verse 4, little children. He's coming alongside of them because he's so burdened. You're from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in you is, he, is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever's not from God does not listen to us. That when the, when the culture speaks the culture's language, it's received. When we get up and say, God says this is wrong, and we cannot accept it, then we're not heard. You know, that we're in a culture of tolerance, and we're in a culture of relativity, hey, that that's that's truth for you. It's not necessarily true for me. That's true for you. You don't have the right to impose that on me. I was listening to a book, uh, Seven Great Women or Seven You Ought to Know by Eric Metz. It was, it was good on different women in history that have had a profound impact on culture. And the last one was Mother Teresa. And uh, he pointed out how she would be in international situations when she got the Nobel Peace Prize, when she spoke at the National Day of Prayer in America and just got out and spoke so clearly against abortion. Amen. I mean, it said at the, at the National Prayer Breakfast during President Clinton's term, President Clinton and Vice President Gore are there, and she, sa- she says, President Clinton, give me those babies. I will take care of them. And he says in the thing, she became, she spoke with a moral authority. And that just resonated with me. That when we speak to issues that the Bible speaks to, we are speaking with a moral, the supreme moral authority. And the culture isn't going to receive that. And so you can't measure with, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong because nobody seems to be on board with this. 
if they're outside of the kingdom, they're not going to be on board with that. Because if you're in John's, if you're in this fellowship, John's writing to wherever that is, and you say, well, John, though, but everybody, I mean, when, when we get up and we preach this message, people come. What's up with that? And he's right. He said, well, you need to know that's, you know, the world will listen to false teachers more than they will listen to truth. That cannot be the standard that we go by. You know, that can't be what we find. It's almost like this is, this is Romans 8.16 flipped. You know, Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That the spirit ministers to you that you really are saved. You know, when you have those times when you doubt or, or whatever happens it is, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit just to, to minister that to you. This is the world bearing witness to the world that this is what we believe. It's not the Spirit of God bearing witness to them. It's the Spirit of the world affirming, yeah, this is true. So you don't worry. Don't worry about it. Many people have you shared Jesus with and they have that sense of, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think I'm okay. It's because something is witnessing to them that don't worry about this. I remember the day that I got saved. Uh, I'm just one of those people I know the moment. It was that Easter, as I mentioned, and our pastor had spoken on heaven and, and Jesus' invitation to us to believe. And he's, I was in a church at that time that just said it had people come forward if they're going to be saved. And so he said, if you accepted Christ this morning, I want to ask you to come forward while we're singing this song. And I, you know, I'm 14. I'm like... Well, actually, I figured out I'm 13. Not then, I was 13, yeah. This year was easy for me to figure out how old I was when I got saved. I knew it was 50 years ago. I know I'm 63. Problem solved. I always thought I was 14. So anyway, as a side note, so I'm standing there, and he says, I want you to come forward. I think, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a 13-year-old. The rule is don't stand out. And so I just stood there. And I thought, you know, please go away. Please end the song. And he said, I can tell you who needs to be up here. If you need to be up here, your heart is racing. <laughs> Check. He said, and you may be even gripping the pew. And I was. I was gripping that pew saying, please don't make me go forward. Please don't make me go forward. There was just, what's going on? There was something bearing witness to me. You don't have to do this. You don't want to do this. So... And when he said that, I thought, man, this guy is on to me. So I did. I just I went, up for, I went up front and amazing things because I did not listen to that spirit, you know, who was speaking against what God was trying to do, to do in my moment. So it's going to speak. You're going to speak. Those who speak truth, you're going to recognize. But John says to them when he says, you little children, you are from the world and you've overcome them. You don't have to be intimidated by how smart someone is or how smooth someone is because you have the spirit of God within you who can check what's, what's being said at a given time. Remember he said at the end of chapter two, but you have an anointing. There's an anointing that God has given you in having the spirit, the spirit of truth who's called, who Jesus said would guide us into all truth, who's gonna bear witness to the truth. So you don't have to automatically be overcome by people that are, that can just say things so well and can, who can tell you how smart they are or whatever. You can still know the truth in spite of not having gone to school and not being able to say it that well. You can know what the truth is. I think some of you heard my story when I graduated from Moody. I was so proud. I was so proud that I took Greek and that I knew Greek and I knew some Greek. And so God humbled me, lifetime humbled me, that when these Jehovah Witnesses were going door to door 
And this little old Jehovah Witness lady knocks on my door. I thought, man, I'm going to annihilate this lady. <laughs> so I said that in love. So she's there, and she says, you know, she's giving, trying to give me the little magazine. And I said, you know, you Jehovah Witnesses, you get the Greek all wrong in John 1.1. You think it says that Jesus was a God, but it really says he is God. And she says, oh, Greek, just a minute. My husband teaches Greek. Honey! <laughs> At that moment, I, I, I knew I am a dead man. And this guy comes over. He's, they were very gracious people. He said, so you know Greek? I said, yeah, <laughs> a little. He said, do you have a Greek New Testament? And I said, yeah. He said, why don't you go get that? And that guy just dismembered me, totally dismembered me. At the end of that, all I could say to him was, I have no answer for you. I just know what the truth is. That's all I could do. I mean, he, he told, I mean, there was a huge lesson. As soon as I left, it was like, okay, God, I get that. Please don't ever do that again. I promise <laughs> I will never, ever do that. You know, thank you that you let me learn this. I promise not to, I promise not to flaunt it in the future. But you get to the point where I can't answer you. I just know what the truth is. And that's okay. As long as you know what the truth is. I mean, that was, that's where it falls back to us that we have to know the truth. Paul would say to the Galatians, he, he would go so far to say, even if he's teaching, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong. But then he circles and says it again. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's just saying, it doesn't matter who it is that comes to you. If they come with something different, they are not coming from God. And you cannot receive that. So I wanted to say at the beginning, you cannot let that be spoken over you or into you. You can't receive that. You've got to just reject it. You've got to, you've got to look at who it is that's speaking to you. You've got to look at, at how it is. You look at who it is and what it is that they're teaching to you. So, so once you know the truth, once it is you, you know what the truth is, once you're confident in who it is that's speaking to you, then it's on you to just surrender this is, God, if this is true, I believe this is true. I can trust this person. I've heard what you said. It lines up with everything else. Now I have to do what it says. Now I have to live in it, and I have to believe it. I have to receive it, you know, into the deepest part of me. I have to allow this truth to undo the lies that I've been told, or the lies that I've believed, or the lies that I've lived by. When you get to the point where he's legitimate, and the message is true, that's our only response is, okay, then I have to do this. I have to receive it and I have to live it out. That's why this is a huge message. It's a huge message that, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's speaking to you right now, that he has a word for you. He wants that word to get where it needs to go. And every time you're listening, he's doing that, which is why you need to check who it is. You need to check, to check what it is that you don't miss out on that, but you don't twist that either, that truth. You don't twist it to just accommodate what it is that you need to do. So, so you need to check the sources that you listen to, the podcast or the people or their life or the books that you're reading or, or where that goes. And you need to equip yourself in the truth. I mean, foundations is a way of equipping yourself. Uh, first steps is a way of equipping yourself. Uh, obviously, being in the word yourself is the best way to equip yourself. Uh, reading reading a, a book in depth on what we believe. Uh, our brother Wayne Grudem has just written a systematic theology that's readable. 
some of us would never, we never think about reading something like that, but maybe you should just to know, okay, beyond these things, I need to know what the truth is. So we're living in a day where, where the evil and error is going to just continue to just make an assault on truth and on the church. You're talking to Cindy's brother and sister-in-law yesterday, hello in Wisconsin, um, and they were, they were just saying, boy, during this pandemic, there just seems like such a, a thirst for things spiritual, a thirst for God. It really is a crazy time, isn't it? You see that. At the same time, you see this rising of evil. So you just see this, this conflict that's happening that's only going to get more and more intense. So it's all the more important that you know what the truth is. Important that you pray for teachers, that you pray for those who are teaching the word. It's so important that you pray for the, the two of us and for, those, for Ponch as he leads foundations or those doing uh, first steps with people. So let me come back to Ravi Zacharias and so many Christian leaders that are just failing. So, so important that you be praying that you be praying for us. I just think of thinking of the words that Jesus said at one point when he saw the crowds. It says, "He went ashore, and when he saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd." And so, what did he do? So he began to teach them many things. You know, a sheep on its own is incredibly vulnerable. It's incredibly dangerous for a sheep to be out there on its own without a shepherd. And so here he comes as a good shepherd, but what does he do? He equips them to know what's dangerous, to teach. So on our side, it's so important that we receive, you know, that we receive the word. Receive it from good sources, and we receive it well, but we make sure it's, it's the right truth that we're receiving. So why don't we stand and, and pray, and then the team's going to come up. Lord, thank you so, so much that we have this word of truth. Thank you that you have preserved it from what was written on the page or what was, you know, what was spoken. You've just made sure that what we have is what you intended for us to have. And we thank you that your word is life and that the spirit takes it and he uses it to transform us and to give us hope and a future. We thank you that he, he uses it to let us know what you're doing in the world and what our place is. Thank you that he uses it to, to overcome the, the evil that's been done to us and to do, undo the evil that we have done ourselves, God. So help us to be hungry for the truth. We talk so often about our, a quiet time and how hard that can be. God, we just pray that you would just stoke such a hunger to know you and know your word that that wouldn't be such a battle for us. We're counting on you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher and to teach us what's being said. And even as, whether we're listening to a word like this, whether we're in our quiet time, just to hear you telling us what to do with this. Speak over us and speak into us. And as you do that, undo those things that have been spoken over us and to us that have been wrong. We pray that we be people of truth. God, because you said the truth would set free. As we wind up service, God, we pray that you would use us so that other people come to know the truth and come to experience freedom. We pray that to the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.
want to read from Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. Yet your word became to me a joy and a delight. Why? Because I found out who I was in your word. So I want to pray going out. Just we appreciated this morning people that have just made themselves available, that just saw a need and believed that God could, could help use them to meet the need. And one of those people would be really Steve Saborn. You learned to play the bass guitar because your church needed a bass guitar player. So just, I mean, who, would, who knows what God has? You just have to have that confidence. So hey, I wonder if you'd pray us out. If we can get Mimi's mic, maybe, or, you know. Father, you know, I, I don't sing up here. I play this instrument as I listen to these words through my heart, and I am so grateful for your faithfulness to us even when we're not faithful. Lord, uh, pour your grace in our lives, Father. Uh, we are blessed, and you carry us through things. And, Father, I pray that as we go, we go in peace uh, to bring the good news to others so that they could have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.